I'll be honest, I kind of miss the amount of personality that the Wii had compared to like the Switch. Yeah. The Switch has like this very kind of clean, almost professional look. It's a post Wii Nintendo. But the Wii had like so much more personality. The the Me Shop cha- the Me Channel music is a bop. The Wii Shop Channel music slaps. Mm-hmm. Just so much more character in that thing compared to Nintendo's building the UI like, oh yeah, you're gonna have so much nostalgia for this in twelve years. their entire brand in business. Well, even the GameCube, beyond like the GameCube opening menu, didn't really have much else personality-wise as like a game well, system. There was but like it, was a cube. it was True. a cube. True. It was a cube. It's cubicle. Yeah, I suppose more in the design of the console itself than the... And the controller. Futuristic. Yep. The controller still holds up. Yep. Particularly oh, yeah. if you're playing Smash. The fact that people 20 years later still use gamecube controllers to play smash just attests to how well the controller was designed and it's their controller from 20 years ago i got joy cons two years ago on my switch and they're drifting to hell yeah. <sighs> they, they just, just don't, don't make stuff like, like they, they used to <laughs> nope well speaking of nintendo oh they've got a I'm sure you've heard the update to the Nintendo Switch Online stuff. You pay thirty extra dollars per year for like ten sixty four games and like a handful of Genesis games and DLC for Animal Crossing. Are they doing the subscription service thing? Well, they had been for a while now, but it was it it was inordinately cheap. Right, like twenty bucks bucks a a year year of online plus the Super Nintendo and NES libraries. Huh. Uh, but then they upped it to 50 bucks a year, and there is no month-by-month option either. Because if there was, I would pay for and singular month once Banjo-Kazooie becomes available on 64 online. Yep. Play through that, maybe try out Paper Mario, and then leave and never look back. <laughs> yeah. But no, you've got to commit yourself to a whole year, 50 bucks. I mean, I Lord forbid th- they just sell copies of these games for you to buy and have forever for cheap. Yeah, mm, they can't. They lost the hardware to do that. But I mean, like, um, I mean, like switch ports of the games. Well, it's all but emulation. They, true. And the emulation, from what I hear, isn't all it's cracked it's, up to be. It's bad. I mean, the Super Nintendo and NES are all right, but those are but easy to emulate. Because 64. the hardware required to, like, the amount of resources needed to run a virtual machine is, like, negligible. I don't know how to even compare it. It's like, mm-hmm. the fact that you can run a game on literal kilobytes of RAM is just, like, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what most systems have these days. Yep. The fact, it just astounds me the computing resources they had on like the moon vehicles, all the different rockets and stuff they sent to the moon. It's like, how on earth did you write all this complicated code and 
With it was that. slide rules and tr- transistors. And lots of clerks handwriting out the uh, calculations. And all doing and the rules. same calculation and making sure they all got the same answer. And if somebody was off, they'd do it all again. Mm-hmm. And it's like... You really, really have to micro-optimize that code. You can't use any more memory than you... You just have to scrunch it down as much as you possibly can. That was like 60 years ago. It was in the 60s for Grand Island. Yeah. Feel old yet? This is Moon now. (laughs) Is it impending? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, Missed opportunity for the... uh, Majora's Mask episode. Oh, well. Huh. Um, There's multiple possible titles that would work just fine. Yeah. They're all just as dumb. Yeah. But some of them are dumb in a more clever way. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I like clever As dumb. contradictory as that statement might be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I realize it's contradictory. and it, That's why I thought but it was it, But it, yet it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's funny how many contradictory oxymorons make sense. It's, Something can be an instant classic, even though it takes time and to, to become a classic. You know, yep. It's like people throw around those kinds of phrases all the time. There's yeah, I love reading through lists of oxymorons because jumbo shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Well, because, yeah, a lot of them, it's like you take them for granted, but they're kind of funny when you think about them a little harder. Um, Let's see. I can't think of any off the top of my head, even though there's plenty. Um, It's the funny thing is when you have to think of something off the top of your head, it never shows up. Yeah. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. (laughs) I've experienced that also. Uh, Particularly, well, it's really bad when I'm about to do a test and it's like, oh, wait a minute. I, I'm i blanking because I'm dumb and, uh, well, I, I mean, obviously study and do the homework and stuff. But, like, you show up and it's like, wait a minute. I have no memory. Which one was the zero place. state response? There are, like, serious points, like, up at stake here. And I don't want to get which one the zero state response is wrong. But right now, I forget whether I, I solve this way or that way to get this. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was be- basically yeah, anytime I did chemistry tests, I'd be like, I knew this. Where'd it go? The thing went on fire in the lab and I wrote that down. Yep. <laughs> uh, I did so much better in the lab than I did in the test. Dude, labs are fun. There's fire. True. Sometimes. Sometimes well, there's a lot of water. A lot of water, too. With one of my mi- favorite... With minute proportions of acid stuff in there. Indeed. My favorite chemistry... Basic ex- chemistry, you know. My favorite chemistry experience uh, experiment I did was probably where you just worked copper through these different solutions, ending mm. with where you added... I forget what the compound was, and you got the copper to precipitate pure copper to precipitate out of the solution what looks like a clear solution and you just was meaning you did a really good job learning (laughs) yeah (laughs) i just know we got pure copper out of it yeah i think lead iodide is my favorite precipitate 
Is that the purple it's, one? It's the yellow one. Uh, the one looks like the inside of a marble. Ah. Marbles are trippy. If you ever look at them, like how on earth did they get that thing in there? Is I what saw, I used to wonder. As a I kid. saw a video on my YouTube recommended about how marbles are made, and I almost clicked on it, but then I realized I have things to do. Uh, papers. I have way too many papers to write, and I'm only having more papers to write coming. No on YouTube horizon. rabbit holes now, right now, anyway. But Can't I really have that. Want, but I really want to. I yeah. Glass. Watch like later, baby. My watch later playlist is full of guitar tutorials I have not gotten around to <sighs> because I'm lazy. Um, I just keep playing the songs I know instead of learning new stuff. I, I don't like the watch later playlist. I never take I, advantage I of never, it. I never save stuff to my watch later. Yeah. If, if it is like... Sometimes it'll be like, oh, I'll watch that later, and then I'll immediately remove it. Um, but in general, it's like, no, I don't want to give YouTube more information than I'm already giving them. Well, for me, it's usually channels I'm already subscribed to. Like, I don't have time to watch this right now, but I do want to watch this, so I'll save it for later. See, well, I watch Smaller Columbo, like, twice. <laughs> and now I just have oodles and oodles of columbo clips being recommended <laughs> this is like every fourth video is a columbo clip and i'm like youtube stop i watched a stop. meme let me and that i don't on want to watch too, it. where there's like the little autoplay thing if you hover over a video too long it's like if you're scrolling past a family guy or a simpsons clip or something your feed is just going to be nuked with mm. clips of that yeah. I mean, they give you ways to filter down different topics now, which is nice, but... Still, who's going to actually put the work into that? Well, here's the thing. When I saved the... uh... Well, it's just like a button click on the top row. Oh. That filters down to certain topics. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. When I saved YouTube as a favorite in my browser, um, I just saved the subscription page as YouTube. So I just go there. And I have the things I'm intentionally looking for. Yeah. I don't have to slog through the main page where it's trying to recommend me Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. And I'm like, Good no, grief. I don't care. Nobody likes Jimmy Kimmel. It saves me a button click. I don't have to go to YouTube and then go to the subscriptions, which Jimmy I Kimmel's actually care about. wrong with comedy? I think I just the channels I watch the most, I am not subscribed to. Mostly, I subscribe to things for promos and crap. Ah. So I'd, I like, subscribe mostly because I feel guilty because they keep begging for it. Yeah. And because, you know, as a YouTube person yourself, that those I, are important metrics for your, your channel's growth. Correct. Big number. Give dopamine. Ooh, big number. And like half a cent per however many. Give me a garbage. Dozens of subscribers. Um, speaking of garbage, uh, I pick up a lot of garbage when I'm playing, I started playing Fallout 4 yesterday, no, two days ago. Ooh, have you found, have you found dog meat yet? I have found dog meat, yeah. Um, Dog meat is is good dog. Yes. I've barely gotten into like the first like hour or so of gameplay, like I've gotten into like 
the gas station and then um the first like encounter with like the Minutemen or whatever in that museum um so that's about it. it's the first bethesda game i've played so it's a little bit of that's a learning right. curve that's right i haven't well, played any of you like for I'm, you for you uh follow it's probably a good place to start because skyrim's mechanics are really kind of janky if you've never experienced a first person um, non-shooter non-shooter right yeah um you can play fallout third person but it looks but weird so I it don't. looks weird and it's not designed to be played that way i don't know what it was but like when i was doing the character creation uh the head model looked fine and then when i go into the game it's like why is the head so small <laughs> uh it just kind of looked funny to me but um I mean, it's fun. It's just like, okay, this is going to be a lot more work than I'm used to in games just yeah. to progress. There's a lot to unpack and a lot of stuff to rummage through and dialogue trees. Oh, but dialogue. dialogue is the most fun part of it. True. You get to talk to Codsworth. Your butler robot. Mm. He's fun. Yeah, like only scratched the surface of, of the game so far. And I fought like a few enemies in the first town. And I'm like, so this is what the difficulty curve is going to be like, huh? Was it really hard? Well, like the regular like raider people, not really, but there was this monster that was in the town and it took forever to kill it and all of my ammo that I had. I was like, it's going to be one of those games. Ah, uh, you get a bigger gun. It's, welcome it's, welcome to Bethesda games. It's about leveling up and getting crafting stuff and stuff. It's Yeah, you'll just get it, a bigger gun later. It's fine. It's like Skyrim putting the the first dragon outside of Helgen immediately right up your face. Yeah. It's, here's it's big like a big enemy so that when you can one-shot these things later on, you'll feel really strong. Mm, I'm powerful. Which isn't it's a that's a good like method of like uh giving you a benchmark for your growth. Yeah. Where it's like, "Oh, you're you're impossible to fight in this early section of the game." Then you come back and it's like, "Oh, I could fight four of you at the same time. No biggie." There's a couple of mechanics where I accidentally skipped the menu and I'm like, "Crap, how do I do this?" Well, don't skip the menu. <sighs> I don't even know how I did it. But like hacking I'm like, what am I supposed to? Or guessing you the password play, or whatever. Yeah, we, we you pipes. have some experience with video game hacking, don't you? Yeah, Isn't but it the most not fun that part kind of, of any video game you've ever played. Uh, <laughs> at least, at least you, the computer doesn't like graphics. zap you when you fail in this game. At least not yet. The uh, the lock picking is fairly easy to figure out. You just yep. have to get a lot of bobby pins. It's a standard Bethesda game lock picking system, except. Well, it's more along Skyrim's lines than it is Oblivion's. Sure. Yeah. But Speaking well, of Oblivion, no. we're talking about something where they go into the wild blue yonder. Uh, we're the Palladium Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. And uh, today's philosophical episode will be on the Pixar film Up. In a world where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man or not pull a lever and allow five people to die find out in 
Filmosophical. So yes, Filmosophical, where we get philosophical about films. The um, wild blue yonder is not oblivion. Those are wildly different things. True. Oblivion <laughs> is nothingness. It's non-being. Utter, utter destruction and non-being. Or a mediocre movie with Tom Cruise. Or a fantastic video game by Bethesda. Um, but we are talking about any of those things. We are talking about Up, which is the uh, 2009, holy crap, Pixar film. Uh, <laughs> isn't that crazy? <laughs> 12 years ago. Huh. Um, yeah. So you have young Carl Fredrickson, who is growing up in like the 30s, 40s. And he has this hero who is this explorer named, um, crap, what's his, what's his, uh, Charles Muntz. That's yeah. Charles Muntz. Muntz. German name. Whatever. Um, uh, he, his hero is this uh, guy, Charles Muntz, who is an explorer who flies around to exotic places in his airship with his specially trained dog servants. And he's after this bird creature that keeps eluding him um, because he brought back a. He brought back a skeleton and showed it to these scientists and they're like, oh, this is fake. So he's been discredited and all that stuff. So he goes back promising never to return until he finds this burb. Um, and so young Carl idolizes this guy. You know, he watches the newsreels because it's whatever decade this is. And uh, he walks on his way home from the movie theater. He walks by, you know, day, daydreaming about adventure. He walks by this abandoned house and inside there is um he hears somebody messing around and there's this young girl ellie who is uh also wearing a flight helmet like uh like uh, russell or not not russell he comes later like carl is and talking about adventure and charles munts and all that stuff so they strike up a friendship after uh carl breaks his arm but um yeah they strike up a friendship Dreaming of going on adventures together. And when they grow up... Uh, they, they go on adventure together. They go on adventure together. They get married. And the whole, like, introduction... Like, I don't know, 10 or so minute long introduction. It's just peak Pixar storytelling with no dialogue of their life story. And it's... Yeah, it's... Uh, we'll get into that in the beauty segment. But it's pretty great. So over the course of their married life together, they rebuild the old house that he'd met Ellie in and make it their own. They try to have a family, but, you know, have a miscarriage and deal with infertility and all that stuff. And it's rough. But they shift focus from that adventure to actually going on that adventure to Paradise Falls, which is the place where uh, in South America somewhere where where Charles Muntz disappeared to. He still hasn't come back yet. So as time goes on, you know, they keep saving up money and keep running into issues that cause them to spend money yeah so it just it just never comes around they to keep it putting it off and finally they're reaching kind of retirement age and uh Char- or carl finally gets up the gumption saves up money and buys them plane tickets to go to south america so they can finally go on this adventure but then his wife ellie with this point they're like in their 60s 70s um falls ill and sadly passes away um, so they never got to go on that adventure together. Uh, the end. Yeah. <laughs> and they all died. The end. Um, 
So Carl is now living on his own. The old house is slowly being, you know, and what used to be like an idyllic middle American neighborhood is now being taken over by the big city. He's got all these huge construction projects literally going on right outside his property. And so he's holding out against these big developers who want to tear, tear down his house so they can build their skyscrapers or whatever. Um, in an argument with uh, one of these construction worker guys, he uh, loses his temper and hits him with his cane, which you know they sue him for. And basically the court's like, all right, you got to go to a nursing home there, bud. He's like, well, I don't want to go to a nursing home. Um. He remembers the adventure he wanted to go on with Ellie, and he resolves to do something about it. Meanwhile, uh, there's this young scout boy named Russell who shows up at Mr. Fredrickson's door, and he's like, hey, I need to get this patch uh, for assisting the elderly. Is there anything you need assistance with today? And Carl's like, no, go away. He's not, he's, you know, kind of grumpy old man. Um, Russell is uh, not easily put off, though. He just sort of has this... uh, plucky perseverance to him um if i'll be a little uh, clueless and ditzy but kind of a lovable character so um yeah, very loud motorcycle outside i don't know wow isn't he cool wow um anyway so to distract uh russell he's like okay yeah there's this sniper or whatever go catch it for me it's been eating my flowers think, trying to get rid of him and so that, that happened and then like the whole court deal. And now Carl is uh, preparing himself, you know, for what the world th- or what everybody else thinks is him going to the nursing home. So the nursing home guys show up and they're like, all right, Mr. Fredrickson, you ready to go? He's like, yeah, I just wanted to say one last goodbye to the old place. But really what he does is unleashes hundreds of helium balloons and the house lifts off its foundations and flies away. So he's turned his house into a giant helium airship. He's going to fly off to Paradise Falls. Don't question the physics. Give in to the whimsy. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's quite whimsy. Um, whimsical. So he's flying off, but then he realizes, wait, I'm not the only person here. Russell was hidden under the... Or hid by the... Well, he was looking for the snipe under the porch when the house lifted off. So he grabbed on he's like can i come in at first carl's like no wait i suppose you have nowhere else to go okay come on come in we're literally in the sky yeah so carl's like okay well i suppose i gotta find a place to touch down so we can get rid of you and send you back home because he doesn't want this kid tagging along but they get caught up in a storm and eventually end up in south america right near paradise falls in fact um, so they get ready to land and the, uh, because of the storm and some damage incurred, the balloons are losing their helium. So they land further away from the paradise falls, you know, spot from the postcard where he and Ellie had always planned to, you know, put up their house and live up heavily, happily ever after, not heavily. <laughs> um, so they realize, okay, well, we, uh, we're on the ground now. We have to kind of pull the house with us to the destination. So they make their way through the South American jungle. 
still hovering, you know, a good four feet off the ground, but yep. just not flying, not airworthy. Yep. <clears throat> so it's called floating with style. Yep. <laughs> They're tugging along with the uh, garden hose that's dangling down. So as they're walking along through the forest, pulling the house with them, Russell, you know, he's a kid. He's kind of bored, just walking along and kind of annoying Carl. Along the way, we meet, uh, or Carl, or not Carl, Russell um, runs into this huge bird that likes his chocolate and so he becomes friends with the bird, and he brings it back to Carl. And he's like, hey, can we keep it? Holy crap, that thing's huge. No, we can't keep it. But the bird won't go away, so they just take it along with them anyway. They also run into this golden retriever, Doug, who can talk through a electric collar in his... Uh, collar in his, on his neck. On his neck, yeah. <laughs> Where collars go. Yep. And uh, which, hmm, that seems kind of familiar. So we just uh, turns out Doug is one of Charles Muntz, who's still alive, one of his servant dogs, because he built these custom collars so his dogs could talk. And so his top, totally not henchman dogs, catch up to Doug because they've been out hunting for the bird, who um, Russell has affectionately named Kevin. Um, so the dogs are out to find the bird, and Doug, being the derpy little golden retriever that he is, it's like, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, would you be my prisoner? And Russell's like, ooh, another pet. And Carl's like, no. Um, so they're continuing to make their way along until the top dogs show up and uh, demand to take them all back to uh, Charles Munson's airship. The bird, uh, Kevin's off hiding somewhere, though, so they're like, you got to tell us where he is. So they bring him back. And they meet with Charles Muds and uh, Carl's all starstruck because, wow, my childhood hero, he's really alive. He's, he's here. Um, and, you know, Charles is all hospitable and stuff. He's like, here, park your airship next to mine. You want to come and take a look at my airship and have dinner with me and stuff? And he's like, after dinner, he's like, okay, so uh, I hear tell of a bird. You wouldn't... Uh, you know, there's other people who showed up on this part of the world looking for birds, and uh, people can go missing when they're after my prize, if you take my meaning. And Carl's like, ooh, there's more to this childhood hero of mine than I initially thought. He seems kind of bad news. Let's get out of here. Of course, Russell, being the derpy little boy he is, accidentally lets slip that they know where the bird is. Um, and so now, uh, is like, all right, let's get him. So they run away um, with the house to try to get away from Charles Muntz and protect Kevin, um, who turns out is also trying to protect her babies. Kevin is a girl? Um, and uh, Doug, you know, he's made new friends because these other dogs aren't very nice to him. He's like, you're my master now. So they run away from Charles and get chased around and stuff and get away for a little bit. Um, until uh, they eventually get caught up to by uh, by Charles and his dogs, who tries to burn down the house. And when given the choice to help um, Russell save Kevin or save his house, uh, Carl picks the house. And uh, Russell's all distraught with that because, you know, 
Kevin's his friend. Hello, uh, James and Nathan from the future here. Technical difficulties. We lost the end of our synopsis. So yes. we're coming at you after the fact with uh, just the wrap up here. Yep. So yeah, uh, uh, Carl has a chance to choose between saving um, his house from Charles or saving Kevin and chooses the house, mm-hmm. um, which leaves um, Russell quite distraught. So, um, after, um, Charles Muntz gets away with Kevin, they manage to get the house to the spot in Paradise Falls where they'd always dreamed, or Carl and Ellie had always dreamed of putting the house. And Carl sits down ready to enjoy his, you know, Paradise Falls experience. Or yeah. what he believes is his dream. Yeah. Of course, uh, uh, Russell's all distraught, like, no, we got to go save Kevin. And Carl's like, I don't care. I didn't ask for any of this. And so uh, Russell runs away to save Kevin by himself, and Carl sits in his chair and, and feels empty. Yep. And he comes across the scrapbook that Ellie had made talking about their adventure they were going to have. Um, well, and he discovers that, uh, you know, he, he when, thought when they it were was young. empty this whole time. He was like, I'm sorry I never got to go on that adventure. But then he discovers that there are pictures and other things in here. And it turns out over the course of their life together, Ellie had put together the scrapbook of memories from their marriage. So it turns out like... Her adventure scrapbook was the life she lived with Carl. Yeah. And so at the very end of the scrapbook, she left a note for him saying, "Um, now go have yourself a new adventure or something along those lines. So Carl realizes, you know, that he needs to move on and, you know, there's more to live for now than his old dreams. And Ellie would have wanted him to move on and she did. So he symbolically and practically dumps out all the old furniture and stuff from the house to make it lighter so he can fly it off because months is off in this airship um, flying away with Kevin and uh, Russell flies up to the airship and gets captured trying to rescue Russell or no rescue Kevin. <laughs> so Carl flies the house and chases down the airship because physics and that uh, gets onto the ship um, where he manages to free Russell and Kevin trick the dog servant goons into locking them into a room and gets into a showdown with months. So yeah, they have like this duel where Charles has a sword and Carl has his cane and they're dueling and they, they both get their backs stuck because they're old and they can't quite swing around like they used to. Um, and so in the showdown, um, they get to the point where the house is teetering on the edge and Charles kind of has to choose between saving or, choose. yeah Carl has to choose between saving Russell and Kevin and uh, Doug or the house I mean they're in the house but they're hanging on to the garden hose or whatever and the only way you can save them is letting the house go mm-hmm. so it breaks off and uh, Charles gets tangled up in some balloons and so falls to his death like a Dis- Disney villain Disney villain do. fashion um and uh yeah they save kevin they uh, release her back into the wild 
uh, with as she's able to reunite with her babies and um, keep the species going. Because, um, yeah, she's a rare bird. Then Carl and Russell fly the, the blimp back to... America, uh, America with no questions asked when this airship from 40 years ago shows up <laughs> without the guy who owned it. But that's neither here nor there. So um, Carl and Russell have become friends. He's sort of a new grandfather figure to Russell. And he's able to, you know, do these things that Russell never got to do with his dad, like eating ice cream on the corner and counting the red cars and the blue cars as they go by, like silly, silly little things like that. And so, yeah, they live kind of happily ever after together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the end of our synopsis. Uh, we return you to our regularly recorded programming. Yes. Uh, let's take it away, past and James and Nathan. Ghost of podcasters you past. handsome devils, you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Or, yeah. <laughs> Got real meta with this re-recording. <laughs> well, what else would we do? Yeah. That, that's anyway, we're, we're gonna we're gonna stop Statler Waldorf here ourselves <laughs> and get back to it. Uh, Take it away. Thank you, future James and Nathan, for, for fixing weird computer stuff. Well, not fixing it, but recording over. That's that's dumb. Anyway, so yeah, we're back. We're back. Um, Anyone? Anyway. So yeah, what do we like about? So we were just talking about how Up is kind of fundamentally different from the other Pixar movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like over the course of Pixar's history, you know, you start with Toy Story and Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo. More Toy Story, um, Cars. This is sort of peak of 2000s Pixar, in my opinion. Even though, like, you know, there's a long list of great movies. It might be some of the more complex and mature. Uh, maybe not complex. I don't know. But it just has a different flavor profile to it. Yeah. Based yeah. On, from from the other Pixar stuff. Mm-hmm. I would. I was about to say grounded, and then I realized that doesn't. <laughs> <at all. laughs> yeah. Right. But in a certain way, it does. I mean, it's one of the few Pixar films that like uh, stars right. all humans for the most part. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Doug is a very good boy. Right. Doug is a very good boy. But but they aren't like the primary. The points of interest are you know all humans. Right. I mean, and then they don't have crazy superpowers or they aren't monsters. They're just human people that happen to live in a world where you can get a a house to float on helium balloons. Yep. For thousands of miles. Yep. Yep. Being steered only by a weather vane on top of the roof. It's whimsical. Moved. It's whimsical, but the engineer in me was like, <laughs> no! no! That, maybe that's what, one of the reasons why it like, isn't one of my personal favorites. Like, I can't suspend my disbelief. For it. It's fun, and it's like the sequences where they're flying around in the, in the house are fun, mm-hmm. and the characters are really cool and well-written and stuff, but like, that hang-up of that doesn't work. Just the weather vane wrecks it I, it's, for it's you. It's a thing. It's a part of. It's something I can't get over myself <laughs> about. 
We went through I can, all of Howl's Moving Castle. None of that bugged you. Well, that ha- well, it's, that and it's Howl's- hand-drawn animation really changes how that feels. Sure. Also, it's not balloons and strings holding a whole house. That's a full steampunk house. <laughs> it's not a a nearly plausible thing. It's a almost pretty much not plausible whatsoever thing. It's a cartoon. <laughs> um, anyway. I think anyway. where Pixar has, I guess, ironically, or er, er, Up, ironically, has a sort of weight to the story. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a very human story. It deals with things like, you know, dreams and getting older and, you know, not really accomplishing those dreams in the same way that you'd hoped when you were young. But turns out that th- the real dreams are the friends we made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> In a matter of speaking, yes. Because, you know, you start off the movie and, like, Carl and Ellie, they have these grand dreams of going off on a great adventure to South America and being explorers. And that doesn't really pan out the way they thought. But they, the thing about life, though, is as a funny way of, like, you know, those things happen to... They still happen, but not in the way you expected. And... Ellie, you can see from the first like opening montage, she has this real joie de vivre to her, mm-hmm. uh, where she's she's kind of a free spirit with where where she kind of wants to go out and explore. But yep. she has found her adventure in Carl. Right? Yep, she's and she takes great uh, enthusiasm in just the day to day, average, ordinary stuff. Mm-hmm. Where Carl's a bit more of a pessimist, who's like, oh, I want to do the big things with you. Yeah, uh, and like. You know, the whole adventure flying the house away to South America, um, the whole deal with that is, you know, and like staying in this house, defying like the the skyscrapers being built around him is like he doesn't want to let go of that adventure he could have had with Ellie. And so like, you know, the, rest he of lives... the world is moving onward and upward without him. Mm-hmm. And, he... and in a very real sense, he doesn't want to let go of Ellie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because he, you know, he's got a photo of her in her house that he still talks to, um, and which is understandable. Yeah, because I mean, like, no, it's relatively recently he lost her, so the depth of their relationship and its longevity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, because they were never able to have kids, he doesn't really have anything else to live for at this point. There's really no other family he's been yeah. able to have. So he's he. This is all he's got left to hang on to. So, um, but then over the course of the movie, he discovered, like, you know, it's sort of his ability to find closure despite all that, you know, like he's, he's able to realize like, oh, Ellie and I had our, had our adventure and she wanted me, you know, to move on and continue living life. So like Carl letting go of the house quite literally and, um, his old life. Yeah. His old wife and his old life. Yep. Carl, you know, he like, lets go of the house and his old life and stuff and accepts and embraces Russell and Doug and Kevin. You know, he's able to help bring Kevin back to his family and his habitat. And, or, or, I guess. Her? Her family and habitat and stuff. So perform a selfless act. Um, Well, he destroys his dream and also, like, his role model, in a manner of speaking. Which... This is a never meet your heroes kind of moment, but also yeah. 
this is a guy who is very stuck on one failure and mm-hmm. unwilling to move past it. Yep. And uh, that's sort of takes, same, a, a sort of similar lack of fulfillment about a dream that is just out of his reach. You know, right. regaining loses, his credibility because if he could just get that bird, never mind the fact that these things are going extinct. Um, he, he loses the one thing he valued most, picked up everything, and went to South America. Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't come back. Yep. Uh, which is something Carl was just about to do. Yeah. I think he's able to see, like, in the unhingedness of Charles Muntz, how that could easily happen to him. Um, and I get one, one kind of neat little note at the end of the movie is how, you know, you just see the house disappear below the clouds, but the house, it turns out comes to rest on paradise falls, right? In the spot where they'd marked in the picture. So sort of signifying that Charles's dream had in fact been fulfilled. Carl's dream. Or Carl, Carl. Yeah. Charles is very unresolved. And Charles is also they're derived from the same root name, yep. which is interesting. Thanks for nothing, Charlemagne. Everybody's named after you. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So yeah, his, his dream is fulfilled. Maybe not in the same way he thought, but also Russell in a, in a similar sort of way. Well, he's this young, adventurous lad mm-hmm. who, who wants to, you know, have, have these adventures with somebody. Yeah, and you know he's a scout. Like he's gotten all the patches except for this one. Um, he's chasing after these achievements, but what he really wants is connection with a father figure, which he hasn't been able to get up to this point uh, with his own dad. Um, and so in Carl, like it starts off, you know, he's he's just trying to get this badge um, by helping. Where where Carl's kind of a means to an end, not an end into himself. Right, but. By the end of it, yeah, he becomes like a real friend and helps Carl in ways that neither of them could have understood. Um, yeah, I'd say the, those are some of the, the major themes of Up. Yeah. The, the main, main uh, points of discussion, I suppose. Um, let's see. What, what else do we like about Up? I personally am enthralled by the whimsy of it. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. just the entire the sound, mood and presentation yeah. and the, yeah, the soundscape and all of it. It's just it's very charming. Very well put together. Which we'll get and into, just, I suppose. As, as a piece of film, it kind of rivals a lot of your well-known live-action films in terms of how well it's able to tell a story and the way it studies its characters and addresses issues personal and systemic and it's all just great i think you know pixar has had some pretty good films since then i don't know if anything is quite if you'll excuse the pun risen to the level of up since since then. then or at least nothing is coming to mind i feel like um, in terms of pure artistic quality certainly uh, like i think uh wally comes close just because of yep. how effectively it told a story with minimal anything mm-hmm. like the first 10 minutes of up imagine that but it's a whole movie yeah uh so it's like 
But and that has less like story and character work and more just yeah. uh just pure animation storytelling, which is Inside Out was pretty good, but it was a uh, it was quite a bit more abstract with the themes it was discussing, which that makes sense it's because of the its mind. characters are abstract concepts. <laughs> yep. Um um cars too <laughs> uh, yes oh uh, yes the artistic greatness classic too. known as cars too in association with pixar's planes fire and rescue <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, that, that's like the one directed DVD. fly the rescue helicopter <laughs> hey. hey 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 um I mean, Ratatouille is also really good, but I think that came out before this, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it did. So, yeah, Up is probably one of the best, if not the best Pixar film that's come out to date, in my opinion. Finding Nemo is pretty good. Ratatouille is really good. So those are like the top three, I'd say. Honestly, then, then you got also got Incredibles. And oh, incre- really oh like yeah, yeah, of course, Incredibles. Incredibles 2 is they great. They just, they're consistent. Yeah. Uh, or they were very consistent between 2000 forgot about, and How could I forget about Incredibles? Yeah. Recently, it's been less consistent, but still mostly good. Yeah. I haven't seen... Onward was uh, pretty good. Oh, their most recent one was uh, the, the... Luca. Luca, Luca yeah, which came it. out on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I, well, let's get around like to watching that. Anyway, Anyhow. we're talking about those. Let's get nope. back to on topic. <laughs> so, should we get into transcendental analysis? Suppose. Uh, I was just look, looking at what we have for time. And I'm like, oh, wait. It's they off. Cut, they cut like 10, 15 minutes. They don't know that, Nathan. <laughs> they, they do because they already listened to the part we, we re-recorded. Uh, fine. We're okay. recording this before we re-record. Truth. <laughs> what elements the- of truth are there in <laughs> Up? Not our podcasting methods. <laughs> and what we uh, may or may not have done because of computer errors. <laughs> What are some truths in Up that we can dig out of it? You should move on from things when they merit being moved on. It is better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. As it were. But also you have to recognize when, you know, something happens and a phase of your life is gone that you should let go of it and i think up is almost like a, a, it's sort of a metaphor for like the like the grieving process somewhat in different ways from other how other films have approached it you know what does it really mean to move on you know mm-hmm. does it mean like okay finally getting that bucket list item done or i think what the film says is acknowledging you know in the, in carl's case the great life he had, the beautiful wife he had, letting her go, but hanging on to her memory in a way that honors her. Mm -hmm. And continuing to live in the spirit of their relationship. Yep. You know, one of the things that brought them together was this notion of adventure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he has a real opportunity to continue that in a different way, but still... She always pushed him to be better... Well, and like outside of his comfort zone and without her, you start to see him regress a little bit back into his timidity, not, you know, being willing to move on. 
but then you know being re-inspired by the scrapbook he's able to yeah live in the spirit of how ellie would have wanted him to live mm-hmm. you know by seeking new adventure instead of hanging on to the ideas of the old so yeah uh goodness there's a lot of goodness in up well, I think there's some more true things we can talk about. Oh, okay. Like, All right. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it's you'll you will come to realize that they too are flawed human beings. And uh, know, not your, everything about them is to be is glamorous really what you would would have uh painted in your head maybe. Yeah. Uh, you idolize mm-hmm. people and people aren't uh idolizable most of the time. Months wasn't really all about the adventure as much as it was the glory. And mm-hmm. that lost glory, that, that sort of disc being discredited, is what drives him basically to madness. To the point of, you know, like, getting rid of people who stand in his way. You know, you know like, killing these strangers who show up and have nothing to do with, you know, what he's trying to do. And that's sort of a parallel to Carl to an extent. Like he drives away Kevin and Russell and and, and Doug. Doug because they're getting in the way of his dream. But then he sees where they were. How they... hollow and shallow his dream ended up being mm-hmm. because it was it wasn't a out of love for his light wife. Mm-hmm. It was out of self pity. Yeah, and that's not a way to live. Well, and the whole the place is called Paradise Falls, right? Like how many. People throughout history have, you know, fallen into folly and error in the pursuit of a paradise here on Earth, you know? Paradise lost. Yeah, as it were. So that little motif there is interesting as well. And only in letting go of these things um, is he able to find or, you know, able to achieve that sort of, not paradise, but better place, you know, in his life. And it's interesting that only after, like at the end, as the end card fades away, you see the idyllic Paradise Falls mm-hmm. uh, image he had in his mind fall into place after he uh, yep. moved on. Only by letting go was he able to achieve his dream. I keep saying letting go, but... This isn't Frozen. No. That's a different movie. A movie that we'll probably never talk about. Yeah. Probably not. Sorry. Unless you not pay sorry. us a lot, a lot of money. Yes. Disney, you listening? <laughs> I mean, of course they are, but no. <laughs> uh, James is no longer on the podcast. For not wanting or, to talk. Anyway. Or if you want to uh, submit us an email at Palladium. Yeah, there are other non-Disney ways of getting us to do it. things, I guess. Give me a reason to watch the second one, maybe. I don't know. <sighs> anyway. Um, let's continue talking about an actually good movie up. Um, any other, yeah. So don't, don't meet your heroes. I mean, you can like, don't take that literally, but don't put them on a pedestal that they don't deserve. Because I mean, let people uh, continue, continue. Oh yeah. I mean, I was just going to say like people, your heroes will never be as good as you make them out to be or as evil as their critics make them out to be. They'll be somewhere in between. Um, 
Well, this guy was definitely evil. But... Right, right. And some people are a whole lot worse than you you think uh, going into it. It's like, oh, you were hiding that for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you going to say, Riley? I said, um, let people into your life. Yeah. When they come knocking on your door and they're kind of searching for a way to help you, it's important to allow them to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I think we have this tendency to, as Americans, to want to do stuff on our own. You know, I'm okay. You know, whenever, whenever people ask you how you are, you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine. Mm-hmm. But just like you acknowledge just have to say you're fine that. you not really fine, but they couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't forget what that clip is from. Yeah, I don't. It's I don't know. some but reality anyway. TV show. I think so. Um. Anyway, but yeah, people like so. well, because even say. even that guy that like Carl wax with his cane, like he, that, like a piece of machinery had bumped into his mailbox that he and Ellie made. He was just trying to fix it and like you know make up for it. You know, Carl lashes out at him, and then Russell quite literally knocks on the door of his house. Offering to assist him, and he blows him off until he's forced to like accept Carl's help or not Carl Russell. Russell, it's like a total of five characters. I know, and I I still can't keep them straight. (laughs) I've seen the movie I don't know how many times, but yeah, um, he's sort of forced to accept Russell and Doug and um, Kevin kind of reluctantly, but then comes to embrace them mm-hmm. um any other truths we want to talk about goodness what is good and up besides doug who is a very good boy he's a very good ellie boy. ellie is also very good. yes a character who never speaks well, is, well like, except for the very beginning when she's a child like the yeah almost no dialogue mm-hmm. has some of the most profound impact on the thematic material of this movie. Mm-hmm. The movie's essentially joy, about her almost. Mm-hmm. Her, her joy of for life is just kind of makes you want to go do something adventurous. Mm-hmm. Even if it's paint your house. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's her simplicity and her finding joy in the everyday things of life. Because as long as she can do it with Carl, it's an adventure. And it's just, it's just great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And then, of course, there's the kind of uh, father figure, uh, son figure relationship that grows between Carl and uh, Russell. Russell. <laughs> now you got me doing it. <laughs> like, wait, I've got to check the list of characters well, to make sure I'm saying the right one. <laughs> Russell is a good kid. He's had a little bit of a tough time, but he's he's got that spirit of adventure in him, and he also just genuinely wants to be the best at everything, um, as evidenced by, you know, like... Getting all the patches. Yeah. But... I don't know that he wants to be the best well, at everything so much as he wants to be excellent. Yes. Yeah, that's a better, that's a better way of it. And also, it. on some level, win approval. Yeah. Win... That's not something you need to, you should need to win. Mm -hmm. And even though like, yeah, and that's kind of evidenced by like, you know, he's, he's sort of 
trumping himself up to be like this great wilderness explorer. He's got a fancy GPS and this tent and all this cool gear that makes him a good explorer. But one by one, those things start to peel away and you realize what he's really after is not like the GPS, which he accidentally throws out the window or the tent, which smacks him in the face and goes flying off into a, um, a cavern. Um, he, what he's really after is, yeah, that sort of connection and that validation and that affirmation that he hasn't really been able to get yet in his life. And Carl eventually warms up and is able to provide that for him. He He's able to come out of himself enough to provide that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Asner, may he rest in peace, did a really good job voicing... Uh, um, uh, Carl, no idea who the Russell kid is. Uh, so I guess we can get into the beauty. You know, it's a Pixar movie, so the animation, and you know, over time, like it was gradually developing as the technology developed. But right. this is really where they start to hit their like, where the films just started to look really beautiful. And on one hand, it's like the really impressive effects they can do, and the really impressive, like technical power they have behind the com- the computers running it but it's also, but also the artistry the art. yeah and there's a lot of really great um uh just artistic characterization like uh there's like a language of shapes and character design right yep where a very square person may be very sturdy or very stubborn yep and carl's a big square guy yep whereas someone who's very round is very approachable, very outgoing, very like uh, cuddly. Yeah, and that's Ellie Russell. and and Russell. And Ellie has like kind of a very round face and round glasses and stuff. The triangular is sort of shifty and uh, it, dangerous mm-hmm. and not to be trusted. And guess what? Uh, Charles Munt's point is uh, and his dog. They're they're very they're very angular. In fact, so I think it, his top dog is a jackal, which is like sort of known in like the. Like the um, far, like the Middle East and stuff is sort of like this predator, like you know, sneaky predator. So like, not only is the is it like re- top of the line two thousand nine animation on the best computers two thousand nine had to offer, uh-huh. but like the artistic direction had this character to it. It had this whimsy to it. Mm-hmm. The house is all like uneven, odd angles and stuff. Yep. The house itself Bright and has colorful. a character to it. Yeah, it's yellow and bl- with like blue roof and stuff. So it's not only like visually spectacular, but like visually interesting. Mm-hmm. So it, it's that nice middle section where the animation will, won't ever date itself. Yeah, it's kind of hit that sweet spot. And I think with Pixar, as time developed, they and the technology developed, they what it really just allowed them to be more of themselves with their artistic expression and stuff, mm-hmm. make more visually stunning and artful and meaningful film. The soundtrack is great. You know, the theme okay. from up every once in a while, I'll remember it and it'll be stuck in my head for a while. And um, there's just a lot of sequences in this movie where there's not a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. for, well, obviously there's the opening sequence we've referenced, but there's like, while they're flying to South America in the, in the uh, house, there's just kind of the sequence of them flying mm-hmm. and Russell and Carl not getting along. Yeah. And there's just a lot of, this movie knows when to slow down. Yeah. 
and to take its time and to set a mood. Mm-hmm. And it knows when to crank it back up into into the main story. It never it doesn't feel slow. Yep. But it has a really relaxed pacing. Mm-hmm. It just allows you to just kind of vibe with it. You know. The thing about the thing about the opening sequence is that if you've ever watched like Pixar shorts, the amount of storytelling they're able to do with just music and visuals. If you ever watched again Wally too. Yeah. Um there's there's just yeah, the music and the and the visuals and the storytelling and the pacing of that opening sequence just really it's probably the best montage ever made. That's Pixar in a nutshell. Yeah. Like dialogueless storytelling and it makes you cry at the end. Yeah. Because and the movie's only just started. <laughs> It made me cry at the beginning. Well, yeah, in the middle. At the end, the end. At the end of the beginning of the sequence, anyway. The whole yeah. Thing. First time I ever watched Up was like my little brother's birthday, like way back, like when it came out, pretty much. First time I watched Up. I was like, whoa, this is way more than I was expecting from this movie. Um, this is really good. Was. I was like 12. I was probably, well, it came. Yeah, we were 12. It was probably around the same time. We were 12. It came out in we, 2009. Unless it came out at some point during june or july in which case maybe not all of us were 12 well i watched it on netflix first we were tweens a year after it came out because um first time i saw it was uh when we moved up to the the dl area Uh um we dead dad had been living in the house he bought for a couple weeks on his own because we were in the process of moving everything and dad had work up here yep um but we first time at the house uh, we set up a mattress in the middle of what is now the living room uh, and watched up on Netflix. That that That's the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Where were you when Carl Fredrickson was up? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, unity. What brings everything together and up? Adventure. Yeah. Adventure is out there. It's, and it takes a different form than you expect. Mm-hmm. Adventure is never late, nor is he early. <laughs> he arrives precisely when he means precisely to. Precisely when he means to. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we cool. also arrive precisely when we mean to. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe yeah. not when we mean to, but... Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's a bold-faced line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know it full well. <laughs> Uh, so if you want to hear bold face lies, thanks for listening to the play. <laughs> uh, uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Palpapis. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints about our boldface lies, our suggestions for future episodes, for future boldface lies, yeah. <laughs> uh, email us at palladiumpapis at gmail.com. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again uh, next week. Bye. Bye. See ya.